If you want to be a premier cop, then you need to learn from the premier police training company in the land. Of course, I'm talking about Street Cop Training. They've got dozens of instructors out in the field right now, sharing their expertise in narcotics, interdiction, report writing, first aid, mental health, case law, and just quality police work. And those aren't even all the topics. There's literally something for everybody. I've attended several classes myself, and I can tell you that these folks cannot miss. Dennis Benino, the owner, is doing massive things for the world of law enforcement at a time when everyone else seems to be running away from it. Street Cop Training is literally the best in the business. Check out their private Instagram and join their law enforcement-only Facebook group to get free trainings, and then check out upcoming in-person and on-demand trainings at streetcop.com. You will not be disappointed. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. This week on the 108 podcast, Punk Rock Cops with BC Sanders and me, Hey My Man Dave. I think there's this crazy juxtaposition between punk rock and law enforcement. I've always felt like more of an imposter in the law enforcement world. There's never been a time in my life where I felt more not a part of the brotherhood, even though I was. I started to see the news in a different way, or I started to question things. I have made it very clear that music is such an important part of my life. It's been since I was a kid. I remember, um, well, in middle school, actually before middle school, I was in a, I was actually in musical theater and, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's what kind of triggered my love for music or like using music to convey feeling, uh, as opposed to just listening to it. Um, but that's where it started. And I remember being in a production or right before a production and my dad had gotten sick and I listened to, uh, Oh God, what was it? It was a song from the, the animated movie Hercules. And, uh, I use that as like my pump up song before each performance because it was the first time I had been performing and my dad wasn't in the audience. And unfortunately, that was kind of the start of what would become my new normal. He came to a couple performances when I was still in high school. But um, because he was sick from freshman year of high school till he passed away a few years ago, four years ago, um, something I had to get used to. But anyway, that's where music kind of started with for me. Um, it was my junior year of high school where... My buddy and I first discovered ska punk music by way of Real Big Fish, and I loved it so much that I went and went on Wikipedia, and I found Streetlight Manifesto, I found Less Than Jake, and then it just kind of went from there. I found you know all these different ska bands, these punk bands. As uh, I grew up, we formed our own band, and then from there getting exposed to all these different kind of local bands and different music, uh, which I talked about a few weeks ago when I was talking about music. Um, 
then ultimately, you know, I found A Day to Remember, I found The Wonder Years, I found all these different bands that, you know, now I play at, at, at you know, at no end. Um, and that's just how music's always been for me. It's always been a way to convey what I'm feeling. Just yesterday I was having a bad day, and <laughs> I found uh, two songs by The Offspring that kind of encapsulated what I was feeling. You know, I kind of lack the musical prowess. I'm not skilled enough to play an instrument. I've taught myself how to do little things here and there on keyboard and guitar, but I'm not I'm not a musician. I can't really play play. Um but I can always write and that's that's always been my outlet. And in our episode today, I speak with BC Sanders of Skillset Magazine and I speak to Dave from Unit to Back, the uh, Instagram page as well as the Hate My Man podcast. And we talk about different outlets that music has um, afforded us the opportunity to do. Now, I've written since I was a kid. I've just always enjoyed writing. BC, it was art. And Dave, it was music. So, um, great conversation for you guys today. Hopefully, you guys enjoy it. Check it out. And, uh, yeah, the music today is all going to be punk-influenced. So, hope you enjoy it. Dave actually created our intro song for today. So, anyway... Here we go. Here's a conversation. Check it out. There's a real cool club on the other side of town where the real cool kids gotta sit around and talk bad about the other kids. Yeah, it's a real cool club and you're not part of it. There's Bailey, pickles and patty cakes too and cubbies making me jokes about you. So I think there's this crazy juxtaposition between punk rock and law enforcement. But at the same time, there's an odd way that it kind of comes together. And the two guys sitting with me today are going to prove just that. So we have, hey, my man, Dave. Yo. And we have BC Sanders here for the evening. So I'm going to let the two introduce themselves. Uh, Guys, typically when I have everyone introduce themselves, they they stick to just their police uh, expertise. But I also kind of want to hear about music and how it's infected your life and and how uh, it's made you who you are today. So we'll start with Dave and we'll, we'll go from there. I am a police officer currently assigned to the detective bureau in my agency. I've been in my agency for almost 21 years at this point. Um, and I am located somewhere in the Chicagoland area, generally. Nice. Yeah. And and, and how how is music impacted to where you are? Well, we'll get we'll get to that in a minute. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, BC, yeah. go ahead and introduce yourself. All right. So you're gonna pick up on my accent very uh, quickly. I am 19 years in a local agency somewhere in the South. Uh, (laughs) No, no, really? (laughs) Yeah, which usually throws people for a loop anytime we talk about punk or hardcore or any type of music other than country. So, uh, but no, I've I've got a long history or long background working gangs, which we can talk about some other time about gangs in the South um, and been listening to punk. Uh, probably uh, since I was about 10, 10 years old. 
life changing and we'll get into all of that. Uh, and that was about the mid eighties. So when we're referencing <laughs> bands, uh, about 10 years old, mid eighties. Right. And I, I feel like Dave, you're kind of in that same time period, right? I am. I am. Uh, I'll be 45 years old in December. Very cool. Cool. So <laughs> I don't know about um, that. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> so it's very for, old in punk yak, punk rock years. <laughs> well, you know, I saw a meme not too long ago. It was uh, it was a couple old punk heads, and it said like, "Punk didn't die; it just has an early bedtime." <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like that's just where we are today. Um, BC, this is the first time we've actually talked uh, audibly, and yes, yeah. your your accent kind of took me for a loop. I was not expecting that. <laughs> I'm, and I'm actually cleaning it up for uh, for this podcast. I can get a little silly when I start telling stories. So little, check little me if twangy. I, check me if you don't understand what I'm saying, or if I use some slang and you're like, I don't, I don't know what you just said, guy. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Looking forward to it. So, um, so yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about uh, music growing up. Obviously, that's kind of the formative years, and you know what you listen to growing up i'm sure well yeah we'll start with bc you said that you were like early uh development years when you started like finding punk rock is that what you were saying yeah yeah so uh 10 years old fifth grade uh about the same time skateboarding was taking off and everybody was starting to get like their first skateboard uh it's the same same time usually it starts off with some kid who's got an older brother which is what we had. Everybody was in Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Dio. That's what we were listening to then. And all of a sudden, this guy's older brother has a, a tape, a dubbed copy of Dead Kennedy's Christ on one side. The other side has Suicidal Tendencies. And my brother got it, brought it to the cul-de-sac when we were skating one day, and we turned it on. And uh, from then, we were hooked. And from, from that, led into um, Minor Threat, seven seconds just a lot of, for me it was a lot of the positive punk that was coming out of dc mm-hmm. uh eventually in, you know out of new york uh with the new york hardcore scene but it was that those first few um bands that really kind of took off with the dead kennedys uh some black flag in there a lot of circle jerks um and then eventually getting into what we'll probably talk about like the chicago scene with naked reagan peg boy other bands like that Nice. Yeah, I'm definitely sure we'll we'll touch on the Chicagoland uh, scene in just a just a second. Actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave, what, was it the same for you? Did it start super young, or was it more towards like your teenage years? I mean, almost almost exactly the same way. Everything stemmed from skateboarding. I didn't have an older brother. I have an older sister, uh, and she was listening to the Steve Miller Band at the time. Uh, so <laughs> I didn't, I did not have, I didn't, I did the same thing happened to me where, you know, I, I grabbed onto skateboarding and even, you know, you picked a skateboard out. At least I did when I was that young, there wasn't a lot of people skateboarding. Or I didn't know a lot of older kids. So the kids that were my contemporaries that were skateboarding, um, just saw cool skateboards in the store, cool graphics. Mm-hmm. So you, and, and maybe, you know, you had Thrasher, Transworld or, or skateboard magazine, uh, but you were just, you know, kicking around town, building little ramps or whatnot. And then, um, really, I guess, and, and I guarantee BC is going to say the same thing. Uh, when skateboard, when, when I got access to skateboard videos, VHS, videos, yes. Yeah. That's what changed everything yeah. because just like with, with 
you know, in the early days, you didn't, a lot of times, especially with bands that are in a scene like the, you know, the punk rock scene, something that's kind of underground, the only access, if you don't live in an area to even know what these bands look like are from record, mm-hmm. you know, albums, uh, tapes, whatever, you know, looking at the, um, the J cards inside of a tape or, or the liner notes inside of a record and, or a t-shirt maybe, or a poster, if you get that lucky. And so same with skateboarding, uh, they didn't have, you know, skateboard videos that you could get at the video store or buy directly from the catalog. You're like, Oh wow, this is what's going on on the other side of the country because you might see in sports illustrated for kids, a couple kids, you know, like Tony Hawk or, you know, yeah, just the, yeah. the main people. Um, and, and TV really wasn't behind skateboarding. Uh, every now and then you'd see a competition, but, but, right. but it was before like the X games were a thing. Or yeah. Like but that. you'd see like a vert competition with like, you know, Mike McGill and Tony Magnuson and Tony Hawk and all these people. But, but you really, you didn't really see what was going on in the street skating world. And you didn't, you, you just, you just didn't get an idea of at least locally here. I, I live actually in India, in Indiana. Uh, but in the Chicagoland area, I'm so close. We just are considered Chicagoland, like Chicago adjacent. But um, when I started seeing skate videos, not only did you then know how you were supposed to dress or get an idea of how skateboarders dressed uh, and the music they listened to. So I, I had no idea there was a musical component. But once that happened, um, you know, I, I was off and running. So I, I got a, a skate video that I saw an advertisement for. It was called Psycho Skate. And it was, uh, uh, you know, one of those ads that you would see on the TV that's like, you know, buy this video and, you know, you, it's, it's, what do you call it? Where you, you know, you cash on delivery or your mom mm-hmm. can give a credit card number. You call this 1-800 number and they send it to you and it has all the, the, the clips from the best skate videos put together into this one thing. And they had mm-hmm. music from this band called The Descendants on there. Um, <laughs> and the first time I heard it, I was like blown out of my socks. I was like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um and again, that like I said, from that minute on, I could remember on the commercial hearing a clip of the song, and I was like, "What?" And um, like I said, that, that's that's where it all started. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, uh, everyone probably knows just because I kind of reference my upbringing and everything, but a little different of a story. I was introduced to this kind of music through ska punk and ska pop punk and pop punk and everything. Dave gives me a hard time all the time because I'm like, oh, I, check out this band. And you're like, dude, that's foo-foo. Um, <laughs> but also by me being younger, um, I it was, it was a different way that I found this kind of music or like more alternative kinds of music. Cause I started with listening to the radio, listening to what my parents listened to. Um, I had an older sibling, but I mean, we're talking new kids on the block, not my scene at all. Um, so I, you know, my, I, I valued what my parents listened to, but that wasn't really what, obviously what I wanted to listen to. Eventually, what were they listening kids, to? They were, well, so my parents, they're born in like the late forties. So they were listening to, like 1950s, 1960s rock and roll, which kind of has a little bit of the rockabilly vibe sure. that kind of, if, if you look at it, you could see where a Scott connection would go to. Cause you know, you go from like Bill Haley and the Comets, you can see the straight line to like Stray Cats. And then from there to Scott Punk, um, especially the first Scott band that I really got into was Real Big Fish. So, I mean, that's like a straight line sort of, but then, yeah. So once I found them, I was like, I need to find more like them because it wasn't very prominent when where I grew up, which was like Northeast Pennsylvania, Northwest New Jersey. That's where I grew up. Um, so luckily 
you know, I had the internet, so I was able to go to Wikipedia and was like, bands like this, bands like this. And I just went down the rabbit hole. And before you know it, me and my buddies, we were listening to all these different ska and punk and different local bands going to like grimy local DIY shows in New Jersey, you know, probably why we haven't gotten COVID because we're just so immunized, immunized <laughs> by it. Uh, so much filth and grime, but very similar, just kind of a generational gap, but very similar. Um, I never got into skateboarding. I just didn't have the balance or the coordination for it, but uh, I can't even handle a bicycle well enough, but, <laughs> uh, but that's good guys. So, so you found this kind of in the, in, in your preteens um, and what happened from there? Like, I mean, obviously you guys said, Dave said skateboarding was a big part of it. Um, so as you go into your early teens, your, your, and you know, through your entire teenage years, how did music kind of transform the way you saw the world, the way you interacted with the world? How did that kind of go? Yeah. So for me that, uh, you heard me mention Dave Kennedy's, but any of the like early bands like that were always singing about either politics or what was going on in the country or sometimes what was going on in the world. And because I grew up in the South and, and things were a little slower back then, now things have progressed through population shifts, but I started to see the news in a different way, or I started to, to question things. And then it got to being question everything. So mm -hmm. when people are picking up a beer and drinking or smoking weed or, or you know, smelling a little cocaine or whatever, <laughs> uh, I, and I'm not getting uh, judgmental just for me, the music, especially like Minor Threat, it was kind of like, all right, let's just question everything. Do you want to necessarily drink beer? Do you want to destroy your scene? Do you, you know, do you, or, or do you want to do something positive? Mm -hmm. And so just for me, I felt better doing things that were positive. So I, I started kind of leaning more towards um, paying attention to my surroundings, paying attention to what was going on, and really uh, spending a lot of money on records and trying to just write letters to bands and network and, you know, find out what, what else was going on out there. Um, like like uh, David mentioned earlier with the videos and stuff, some of those first videos, like old flip side videos where you would see like skating and bands uh, and you could just get introduced to, to different bands. Um, but that was the big thing to just start kind of questioning everything and, and also leaning into art. You know, I, I started drawing and uh, really focusing on art for, the teenage years you were talking about. So sometimes I spent, <clears throat> you know, three or four hours a night listening to records and just drawing, constantly drawing, knowing that I was not going to go into a career of art. I only did it because I enjoyed it and I've, and I've always enjoyed that. Uh, but that, that was the big thing for me in the teenage years, just listening to the music, questioning everything, reading the lyrics, understanding that someone my age or maybe only a year or two older in another part of the country is recording music, you know, putting it in a little sleeve of a seven inch record. I'm paying them $3 mailing it, you know, of cash through the mail. And in a couple of weeks I'm getting this record, you know, mm -hmm. from a band that probably no one's ever going to hear. And definitely not my peers, you know, growing up, uh, sure. outside of our scene. But I yeah. spent a large amount of my youth, uh, grounded, because I couldn't, <laughs> I, I couldn't, I couldn't get my, uh, I couldn't wrap my head around behaving or uh, getting good grades. So, um, I mean, I, I wasn't flunking, but I, I, I surely wasn't uh, the class, you know, I wasn't the valedictorian. 
So with that, you know, I spent a lot of time in solitude uh, in my room <laughs> and I did the same thing. Um, when I, when I didn't have access to skateboarding or my friends, I buried myself in music and uh, art. And, and one thing that I think it, it, it's a through line with every, anybody who's ever skateboarded ever, I, I would assume still to this day, um, art is a huge, huge part of skateboarding because um, the iconography of, you know, certain sk skaters have their, their design and they carry that through or they have like a variation the next year on this one design or, or whatnot. But for whatever reason, it, it runs so closely, probably because a lot of the guys that were skateboarding were also, you know, also had bands or were hanging around with guys in bands and the cultures, you know, men so easily that I feel like they're, they're one and the same. So I did the same thing, you know, and, and it, it, I would continue to do it when I started my own bands later in life where I was like, well, now I have an opportunity to make flyers mm -hmm. and uh, I like to do, um, you know, I, I like to do all, I, I like to draw, but I also like to create um, collages. So flyer art is, is great for that. Yeah, but for interestingly sure. enough, even more than looking at magazines, I'll never forget. Like, so I, I was given the entire black flag library by a friend of my, my sister's best friend's boyfriend who one day showed up at my house. And I, I, you know, it was very early on and I was listening to maybe descendants and, and circle jerks and a couple other bands. And this guy was like, Hey, uh, I'm not punk anymore. I'm straight edge. So here's all my punk tapes. And so this guy gave me every black flag tape, every descendants tape, every dead Kennedy's tape, you know, minor th every, every band that he had ever collected. He literally handed me like three shoe boxes of every cassette of every band that he had. <laughs> wow. So I, I, you know, I was like, well, heck being grounded ain't so bad anymore. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I just immersed myself in it. And it's funny because Jello Biafra, the singer of Dead Kennedys, also uh, that my, I could attribute like probably from, I don't know, 13 to 17, just anything this guy would have said. I was like, oh, yeah, it's that's the word of God. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I would listen to his spoken word. This is before Rollins was doing spoken word. You know, Jello was doing spoken word stuff and. It's funny now because it really doesn't age well because a lot of it is specific to, you know, politics in California uh, more so than than world politics. I mean, there are a lot of world politics, but he does do a lot of stuff for, you know, that side of the country. But I didn't care. You know, I remember telling people at, at my school about Dianne Feinstein and they're like, who? You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know I'm, I'm complaining about Governor Jerry Brown from California yeah. and people are like, I don't, I don't know what that is. No idea. And I remember right. arguing with my parents and. My, I was just talking to my mom today. We were talking about, you know, the holidays and what my kids might want. And I said, you know, it's funny. My mom, she, she really did not like the, a lot of the imagery on punk rock t-shirts. And it, she just, mm -hmm. she was just not all about the whole scene, but she would buy me like every semester or excuse me, every grading period, she'd buy me like three new t-shirts. So mm -hmm. I would go back and forth from getting like three skateboarding t-shirts to like punk band t-shirts and a lot of it, it's funny because when I was listening to the Black Flag records, uh, one in particular, at the end of it, they had a bunch of like radio promos that they did and they would mention other bands. They'd be like, you know, it would be a promo from when it actually happened. This is years later when I'm listening, but they'd be like, hey, come see Black Flag at this, you know, at this uh, 
you know, whatever venue and they're going to be playing they were playing with China White, the Minutemen. And I'd be like, I'd be, I'd be, you know, I'd have a little pen and pencil. Okay. I got to get something by the Minutemen. Now I got to find out who China White is. I got to find out who, you know, and so from there you opened up these tapes, records, whatever, and you see who these bands think. And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, now I got to That's, and you just create your own list, which is weird yeah. because a lot of people that, you know, grow up listening to top 40, uh, you know, it's just whatever. They don't have the same struggle, right? Right. So is it, it's, I mean, it's a different kind of Pandora's box. Uh, you know, when you start going into the liner notes of a, of an, of a record and you see the thank yous, like you said, you just kind of go further and further. And, but the top 40 is kind of tells you like what, what the liner notes are like, Oh, mm-hmm. you got to listen to Cardi B and whoever else is top 40. I don't know. <laughs> but um, it's kind of funny because, you know, growing up in the nineties, they're really, for me, where I was, wasn't really that kind of counterculture voice. Like you guys had the dead Kennedys. I didn't have that. Uh, I didn't get into the dead Kennedys till later in my high school. Um, but for me, it was George Carlin, not punk rock at all, but a punk rock mindset. Oh, for sure. Kind of, you know, the, the same kind of question, everything. So BC, when you said that, I was like, that was exactly what I did. And yeah. as I grew into a young adult, even to now, if we're being honest, um, his words and his kind of, questioning methodology has just kind of been transcendent through the entire thing. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, now, Dave, you said about creating your own bands, writing your own music, BC, did you end up um, making your own music, making your own bands, kind of doing stuff like that inspired by what you listened to? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> I tried singing when I was about seven years old and my mother <laughs> told me I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. So I was like, all right, I'm good with that. So I never got in, I I never got into playing instruments or anything. However, my older brother and his best friend, who's like a well-known tattoo artist now, they started a band and I've posted a few times on Instagram, like old pictures. Um, But they started this band and we had uh, a day out from school. So my brother covers the windows with this big blanket starts doing these flyers and and calls people up uh in the area in the scene and all these kids start taking cabs to our house mm. and they play this show in our living room and damn near wreck, wreck our living room <laughs> and, we're, and we're in a rental home so the landlord lives down the street and he calls my mom at work and basically says i don't know what the hell you got going on down here but uh i'm getting ready to call the cops i mean because you're, you're talking about like the late 80s uh, kids with mohawks, girls mm-hmm. with like half their heads shaved, you know, uh, my brother's buddy's got like a devil's lock, you know, just those things were, were not, uh, normal back then. Um, so that was cool for me to kind of live through them doing a band, but man, I just, I just didn't have the rhythm, couldn't carry the tune, even for like punk rock. I wouldn't be able to, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people were like, Oh, it's punk. You can do that. But but no, I mean, look, look at Lee Ving or anyone else. Like those, there's some some front guys that can actually sing. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I never got into it. Art was my thing, and uh, skating. Nice, nice. And Dave, what? Um, so were you one of these guys when you had a band? You had like 40 bands, and you just like anytime you could get a group of guys together, that was your new band. Or what? What was your no. kind of music making? No, uh, I was so type A personality that like I had my band and. Uh, pretty the reason i'm not in a band anymore is for the same that same reason is because it's people are like it's supposed to be fun uh, so no 
No, I, I was like, you know, that, that Ramon's mentality of like, this is going to be work. Like we're going to mm-hmm. be practicing nonstop. This is what I'm going yeah. to do with my life. And uh, those dudes were like, I, and, and it's funny. Cause I went the other way than BC. Like, he's like, Hey, you know, I used, I, I looked at this as an outlet for, you know, other people are doing all this stuff and, 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 I went to the pot. This is him, not me. I went the positive route and I liked a lot of these bands and I looked at the the positives that they brought to the table and basically saying like, Hey, you don't have to drink. You don't have to do this. You don't have to, you know, go out there and get in trouble. Um, and, uh, you, you could see the positives and bring people up. And, uh, unfortunately I, I went that other direction. <laughs> you went the other way. Yeah. I went that other direction. <laughs> and so this was absolutely an opportunity for me in a positive way to release negative energy, um, mm-hmm. in a controlled environment. So I'm not talking about doing anything, you know, anything crazy. I'm just saying, um, I, I, I was just, I didn't care about the, the positivity and the, that, that, that comes later, you know, but I, I was definitely as, a rambunctious youth. And, um, <laughs> but, but I, I, and, and in fact, it's funny because the scenes around here, the scene I was involved in was, was far less empathetic than it sounds like his was. Uh, it, it <laughs> yeah. was, it was, it was very much more, you know, just extremely aggressive, um, which, you know, I, that I, I enjoy that, but mm-hmm. I, I, but it's funny because when I talk to people from different parts of the country or that interpreted this, seen differently or had a different experience. Um, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know if I would have continued down the same path had it, had, had, had it been all, you know, Hey, brothers in arms kind of thing. It just wasn't what I was looking for at that time. So uh, both of us found something in the exact, we took the same message that was being said and interpreted a little bit differently, but we ended up in the same place. Yeah. And I I think that's the part that's very interesting and kind of fun is that, you know, that's how the music is. You know, when you think of like top 40, because that's kind of the 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 background that I'm going to compare everything to. Very cookie cutter, formulaic. There's no real drive. You're not going to listen to a Katy Perry CD and be like, oh, man, I, you know, question the government. It's not going to happen. <laughs> um, there, there's no real misinterpreting whatever she's saying. But then you get someone, um, whoever it is, that's producing music or art, generally speaking. Um, and then it leaves a lot of room up for interpretation. How are you going to take it? How's BC going to take it? How am I going to take it? And could get three different outcomes. Well, three different paths, one same outcome. I mean, it's, it's great. And, and that's really what drew me to, again, like the Scott punk scene was more what I was growing up to, but that's what drew me was that the, I would, my first concert was, was a real big fish tree, like manifesto concert and, and against all authority. And I'm standing in the pit and I'm looking around and I'm like, these are people that I would never associate with outside of this, this, this pit. But here we are, you know, shoulder to shoulder, sweat on sweat. And it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter who, you know, and that Mm. kind of led me to have a more open mind about things. And I feel like, you know, the music that I grew up listening to kind of made that more accessible, you know, and, and kind of more open-minded. Um, so speaking of all that, so as we kind of go out of your, out of your teens and into, into young adulthood, I mean, did you guys go straight into law enforcement or were there some like missteps along the way? Like how, how do we, cause that's, I think that's my biggest question is how do we get punk rockers and then law enforcement? I mean, those are, <laughs> those are supposed to be polar opposites. How's it happen? So we'll start with Dave with that one. 
Well, um, I left high school and had absolutely no intention of attending college, at least right away, or, you know, doing anything career-wise right away. And, you know, my parents were just sort of like, you're not going to live here and not go to school and and, and just, you know, work a, a BS job or whatnot. So I, in addition to another thing I was super passionate about outside of skateboarding and music was uh, radio broadcasting. Mm-hmm. So I had been, a, I used to listen to old time radio stories. I love stories. I love, I read, you know, I love books, uh, movies, and I love the theater. Uh, I don't want to, I didn't want to be an actor, but I love the theater of radio, like talk radio specifically, mm-hmm. you know? So in Chicago, we had Jonathan Brandmeier and Steve Dahl. We had some, some big time heavy hitters. And then Howard Stern was a big Howard guy. Um, who I picked up on like channel nine when he was, you know, broadcast way back when, when he had a, a channel nine show and I couldn't hear him on the radio, but you know, I was able to see him on TV. And uh, so I decided to spite my parents. I was like, well, if you want to send me to college, that's fine. I'm going to go to broadcasting school. And they're like, okay, cool. Here you go. Go to broadcasting <laughs> school. So I went to broadcasting school. Okay. Um, And I do have, I have family that are police officers. My mom's both my mom's brothers are police officers and it was always something that um, I, I, I felt like I would end up doing, but I wasn't in a hurry to do it. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I took a break and, and, and went to radio school. And then eventually um, I learned in radio school that um, unless you're, you know, one of the big, the big guys, you're going to be, you're going to be moving all over the place and you're not going to have a steady job. And, right. it, it, you know, that's, it's just not the kind of life I wanted to, to lead. So I was like, well, I guess I'll be a police officer. <laughs> I fought it. I fought it too long. So, yeah, I got you. I, we we have similar stories. I'll get on that in a minute. Okay, BC, what's uh, what was your transformation yeah. from quasi uh, punk to to where you are now? <laughs> so uh, a little bit different. Um, since we were in the South and skating was considered like uh, against the law, can't be downtown in a city skating, which we did a lot. So we would always have to run from the police. You'd end up running around the corner, throwing your skateboard in the trash can, like as you turn the corner, because and just blend into the crowd because the officer's looking for the guys with the skateboards, right? <laughs> right, right. So you learn just to turn the corner, dip, throw it in the trash can, and keep walking. So we had a lot of negative experiences with police just because mm-hmm. of that, um, and and it's it's just one of those things where. <laughs> Uh, if you're listening to bands that don't like the police or you're seeing photographs and fanzines and stuff from like LA where cops are just coming in and busting heads at shows, right, right. you start to kind of go, okay, maybe this is true. Uh, and then we get stopped one day and basically two cops stopped the car. We picked up some buddies. Uh, we're riding around in a milk truck. My buddy's like vintage milk truck. Um, and our buddies have these two bicycles they're riding on. So we throw the bikes in the back of the the truck and we pull off and they stop us. I guess they thought maybe we were stealing bikes or something. Either way, one of the guys, uh, the, the contact officer, he's kind of, kind of on that power trip and the check-in or his support or whatever you want to call it is like, he sees our skateboards. He's like, Oh, hold on a second. You got to skate, you know, and, and believe it or not, we're like, yes, sir. (laughs) You know, he's like, (laughs) Oh, hold on. Cut these guys loose. They're cool. They skate. So it was like a switch flip for me. And right, I, was young. Right. I was like maybe 12 then. And this was like one, one of those, uh, or maybe a little bit older, but like one of those experiences like, Oh, hold on. This, this guy's actually cool. So m- maybe it's, 
the individual. It's not all cops. It's the individual that can be this way. So as I got a little bit older, it was, I, I never liked bullies. I could not stomach seeing someone abuse somebody else. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I got into a lot of fights as a kid, didn't want to get into fights, but that's just what happened. So as I got a little bit older and realized, um, you know, I kind of, I got to figure out my way. Uh, I started working in tobacco when I was like 13 years old. So it's kind of a little straight edge kid working tobacco. It was like <laughs> in a conflict. However, mm -hmm. that, that was like one of my first jobs is starting to get focused. And I met a guy in the tobacco field who had worked or had lived in section eight housing in our city. And his way out was to join the military. He was in the army. So he would basically tell me what the army was like and also explain to me, you, you got to kind of have a path in life. If not, you're, you're going to get yourself in some trouble. And we mm -hmm. had guys in the tobacco field that were full-blown alcoholics, drug users, and they would pass out in the field. And he's like, you know, like a 17, 18 year old's passing out. He's like, you want to be like that? You know, or do you want to kind of have a trajectory in life? So the more I listened to him, the more I was drawn to it. I always thought about the military, but for me, going into the army was the first step of kind of getting focused and, and doing something positive with my life. Uh, mm -hmm. And so when I joined the army, same thing uh, that anybody else who joins the military at that time into punk rock or hardcore, you're getting dogged out in basic training, you know, cause I'm getting letters from bands or I'm getting, you know, flyers and stuff that, that are in my room and drill sergeants are later at my unit squad leaders are like, you know, what is this communist bullshit? Basically, <laughs> yeah, you know, hey, Devo, get down and give me 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, like black train Jack was, it was big at that time out of New York. And I, I have a, or at that time I had a black train Jack shirt and I had a platoon sergeant that swore up and down. That was some type of communist like <laughs> manifesto I had or something. I'm like, no, this is actually a really positive band. But anyway, so it was the military for me and I really started focusing in and going, okay, uh, I want to maybe do this cop thing, but I don't want to get sidetracked and have to like write speeding tickets or something. That's no offense to anybody else. It was for me, I was like, I, I really want to go after the worst people we have. Like, like that, that bully, you know, that used to beat up kids, maybe grows up and carries a gun and robs people or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it was more for me wanting to do something like that. Um, and then getting focused. So I did four years in the army, got out, went to college, GI bill paid for it. Uh, I was not very squared away in high school. I barely graduated. However, in college I was pretty focused and it actually enjoyed it. So I got a degree in psychology and then, uh, applied for the, like our local, uh, city police department, which I've been on for 19 years, but it was more just getting focused like that. Mm -hmm. And, and I kept being like a punk rock, you know, type, to myself for quite a while when I was on the department, I just wanted to show everybody, Hey, I'm just a normal dude. Let's go to work. Let's, let's do this stuff. Um, and then it was, you know, later when we started doing like plain clothes assignments and stuff that people were like, who the hell are gorilla biscuits? Like, what, what are you, what right, shirts yeah. are you wearing? You know? So mm -hmm. now, now it's, you know, running joke and it's, it's kind of fun for everybody to laugh and stuff. And we, we joke about it, but at that time it was really, kind of what I thought was unheard of. And then you start mm -hmm. to find out that all over the U S we've got punk rock cops, like in every yeah. department, federal agencies, 
uh, it's, it's good stuff, man. Yeah, it is. And it's surprising. I think when I started my yeah. page, that was one of the first things that caught me was that there were more people that listened to the type of music that I did yeah. in my profession than I expected. I didn't like when I found Dave's page, when I found unit to back yeah. and that's how <laughs> yeah. we started talking. I was like, yeah. wait a second, really? Like th- there's actually punk rock cops out there. And, and that's, I mean, that was the domino. That was the first yeah, domino let, to go. Let me interject and I apologize, but no, no, go. Like I've never, I'd never had any social media, like going all the way back to MySpace and stuff. I just didn't understand why I needed to be on anything <laughs> and putting my information out there. Um, and then eventually th- through my side gig of writing for a magazine and stuff, I was told, Hey, just try this Instagram thing, man. Like, you know what I mean? And, and unit to back was like one of the first things I saw on Instagram that I was like, damn, this is actually like really, this is a really cool format in his account. This dude is like me elsewhere in the country. And he's creating these shirts that one are form fitting and are like the perfect merging of my, like my two worlds. Like, you know, if you could take circle jerks and merge it with, you know, a a police design. (laughs) That's ballsy. Dude, let me tell you, hey, <laughs> and there were some people sending me messages and I didn't understand, like, all right, why are you pissed at me? And people were like, this isn't punk rock. Police aren't punk rock. And, and so I would have to tell them very politely and tactfully in a very thought out message, anytime you want to, to walk down into the baddest, roughest neighborhood in your city, you go into that neighborhood and, and you see what, what life is like for a lot of people, right? And you'll know that there are real, real officers out there. There are real people out there that are doing what they do, that they love and they're passionate about, and that there's no such thing as uh, police and punk being a polar opposites. Be- because right. if that were the case, if we all sat back and if I said, man, I-, I love punk and therefore I can't be a cop, then our culture, even within my department, would not have changed because I started teaching techniques and doing gang work and stuff and trying to influence other officers and detectives and agents and stuff with, as I taught other, other, uh, jurisdictions, different approaches. Like, cause I remember what it was like being cussed at and, and, uh, searched by cops after shows and stuff. I had no clue what was going on. I had no reason. They didn't explain why they were searching me. I didn't understand what was going on, you know? Um, right. so, if we didn't join, if we all sat back and said, no, uh, I'm going to be a robot punk rocker and I can't, I can't break norms like that. Where it's kind of the opposite. It's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to take a step further and I'm going to do something really punk. And I'm going to actually join a police department mm-hmm. and be the, be the best that, that I can be influence other people so that some kid who's 12 or 13 or 16 never gets that unprofessional um, service or sees cops as, as the enemy ever. You know what I mean? Like they just say, okay, that's a, that's a human being or whatever. And it always blows people's minds. Like when you're in uniform and you mention something about punk rock, when you see someone from the tribe, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, germs, huh? What do you know about the germs? And they're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny about the, uh, the unit to back page. I, I, and I probably told BC a, a while ago or Nako or some of the other dudes that I've come across, yeah. like the funniest part about it to me. And this is why it's punk rock to me because I I looked at, and I still do a lot of the police officers I've come across 
in all these years, you know, I'm just like, oh, this guy probably played football. This guy probably lifted weights in high school, you know, drove a Camaro, raced Mustangs, did whatever it is that like agro normal white, you know, American dudes do. Um, and so I thought what's funnier than making a t-shirt with a police officer as a skank man, the circle jerks, yeah. you know, image yeah. And having cops that have no idea that it's actually a circle jerks t-shirt right. <laughs> with a cop yeah. and seeing guys like, dude, check out this cool shirt, not understanding that they're wearing a circle jerk. Cause I'm like, Hey, <laughs> some cop that probably didn't like skateboarders or, or, you know, mm-hmm. punk rockers might wear this shirt and then we'll all have a great laugh. Like that's my, yeah. you know, my humor. Right. Right. So then yeah. as that, you know, I started making more and more designs, uh, you know, I, I would I would hear people or people would get a hold of me and say, oh, that's awesome. Did you come up with that? And it's like, well, no, I didn't. You know, I basically just ripped <laughs> someone's design off and changed some words around and did whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. But I did the same thing. I was telling somebody the other day, I, I for my daughter's softball team, they were like, they decided on the name, the green lizards. And that's what happens when you let, you know, nine-year-olds pick their team. name. <laughs> but I was right. like, oh, that's perfect because uh, there's a dead milkman record called Big Lizard in My Backyard. And the album cover is this big fat lizard. So I took that lizard and I put a bow on top of his head and a softball mitt in his hand. And that was our team logo. And that one person, everyone's like, that's really cool. That's a cool picture. It's actually a really crappy piece of art, like the original anyway. So they weren't surprised that as, as far as they were concerned, I drew it and they were probably like, oh, that's really nice. You did a good job on that. The girls thought it was great. But yeah. I laughed again because it's like, hey, everybody's wearing a dead milkman shirt or has a dead milkman sticker, but they don't yeah. realize it. Um, yeah. Well, and that's like you and I talked about the uh, proactive policing is not or oh, is yeah. not a crime. We talked about yeah. that one. How that you know? How many people so many are rocking people... that and have no? They like the message, but they have no idea what it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's it's ingenious. I mean, it's it's a design. I mean, everyone knows. The relentless defender, thin blue line, right. Punisher skull, you know, the, the canned mm-hmm. police designs. And then you come out and you take these designs that only, you know, a microcosm of police officers know what they are, like like the defendant's logo mm-hmm. or like uh, or the sentence logo or um, you just did a bad religion one. <laughs> so you take them and then, you know, no one really knows, but all these cops are rocking it. Right. No idea. Right. No idea what's right. actually going Especially on. Especially when I you see they take, they're like, oh, I'm going to slap this, uh, you know, proactive policing. Is that a crime sticker on the sergeant's, uh, you know, on the side of his, his desk or whatever? And it's like, that's what a skateboarder would have done. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and so therein is the, that's the humor. That's what I get out of it. That's yeah. what I enjoy. I enjoy tricking police officers into <laughs> appreciating skateboard iconography or, you know, punk rock uh, imagery. So, yeah, yeah. But I, but it it was, it was really cool because I started, you know, I thought I was alone and I was the Mm -hmm. same way as BC where, you know, I didn't see guys coming into work and saying like, you know, back when I first started and being like, oh yeah, I'm into Pearl Jam and talking about whatever they were into. Nobody really talked about, you know, you listen to whatever music was in your car. If you don't have a partner, you drive around, you listen to music, somebody pulls up next to you, they you know, they simulate with you. You turn down your radio. They turn down theirs. You BS and they move on. You don't really talk about music. People are talking, especially when you're young. This is just me. You should be talking about arresting bad guys and ways to arrest yeah. bad guys. Yeah. And in between right. when you, you know, maybe meet up for a cigarette or a coffee and you, you're, you know, you turn your music down. 
I guess in early in my career, I just wasn't that concerned with sharing what my, the music I liked. I already knew that it probably, you know, most people aren't going to like it anyway, but yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily say I hit it, but I definitely, um, I definitely wasn't putting it out there. And then I had the same thing happen. Uh, eventually I had, I ended up in a plain clothes assignment and I was doing the same thing. And then, you know, I have a bunch of tattoos. So people were like, you know, why is this dude wearing that shirt or this shirt? Or what does that mean? Cause they're always, you know, they're always like some yeah, ridiculous yeah. band name. And yeah. like, What's that? And you know, you have some, always. you have some old heads always. on the police department that are looking at you like, what, what is that? What do you, and then you're like, dude, it's a band, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the same exact that, and I guarantee everybody else's story that has, you know, the same path is going to say the same thing. You start, yeah. you start, you stop worrying about what your, your, uh, you know, your other officers are concerned about like what you do off duty and eventually your personality, you, you, you stop drinking the Kool-Aid where you're wearing an FOP t-shirt every day off duty, or you're wearing your, you know, like a volunteer fireman is constantly wearing a fireman shirt. Mm -hmm. Eventually you find yourself going like, I don't want to be out in public wearing a police shirt because it puts a target on my back or people are going to expect that I'm going to jump in on something. And like I am with my family. And at that point is when you just go like, I'm going to go back to being, the guy I was or the guy I am now, yeah. whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. So, so real quick though, when you were talking about that, like wearing the shirts and plain clothes. So I was, I was fortunate enough to work with uh, kind of a task force. A couple of people get pulled together. FBI agents come in. We work, work this case for, I don't know, off and on for about a year. But one of the first times that I get to meet up with one of the agents, I'm wearing plain clothes. And some of those guys knew me for, from my homicide days. So they used to see me in a suit, but we walk in, we're sitting there for a briefing and we're all dressed down and I'm wearing a seven seconds walk together, rock together shirt. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this agent walks in and he's, and we'd only kind of talked a little bit prior to that. And he's staring at me and he just says, man, what do you know about that shirt? So I was like, uh, more importantly, what the hell do you know about <laughs> it? You know, like messing around with him. Cause I thought maybe he just liked the art. And he's like, I'm telling you right now, that's the greatest band of all time. And of uh-huh. course I'm like, and he was always like dressed in just very bland clothing. No, no logos, nothing. So we start talking music because seven seconds by far, like uh, soul force revolution was his favorite album. Mine was walk together, rock together, but either way Mine's we the spent the next. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so we spend the next like 10 or 15 minutes. You know how it talk goes. Mm-hmm. You exchange back and forth, which bands and all that. And the whole assignment, like the rest of the people are just staring at us. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what language are you speaking? Yeah. Sure. But you need to drop in that. Do we just become best friends? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The desk pop. Right. So, uh, but no, but so then, you know, come to find out he was a skater. He grew up in uh, Kentucky. You know what I mean? Same thing, like d- down in the South, like uh, was in, in and out of punk rock bands, you know, and then eventually was joined a local department and then went uh, and joined the FBI. But we used to talk about music and, and saying the same thing, like how every, everywhere, everywhere, you know, and it was like everybody kind of took a very similar path like that, where you just, yeah. you get in, you prove yourself. And then it's like, like you just said, Dave, like, you know, your personality starts to come out, you get a plain clothes assignment. And yeah. then all of a sudden, you know, for me, it was drugs and vice. And it was like, Hey, I'm wearing my Vans. I'm wearing, you know, I'm wearing my Dickie pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day is a different band T-shirt, and and I can just kind of relax because uh, yeah. I had at least kind of proven myself. Then, well, I I, oh, I, I always man. found like you know, I guess 
I've always felt like more of an imposter in the law enforcement world as far as having to put up a front than the other way around. You know, like there's never been a time in my life where I felt more not a part of the brotherhood, even though I was um, just because, like I said, I don't there, I didn't have anybody else that had the same outside of work interest that I had. So, you know, I and eventually would end up drifting away as my career went on um, from, you know, really hanging around with a lot of guys on the police department, at least at my own personal police department, because, you know, it, once being a police officer, isn't the only thing in your, in your realm, then it's like, mm. well, what else do we have? Yes. We all have children maybe around the same age and we, we work for the same place, but who wants to get off work and then talk about work. And so right. then you find yourself, th- this is why the unit to back thing was so great for me because I met both of you guys and I met a ton of other guys that were like, Whoa, I can't believe that you're, you're out there. I, I felt like I was alone all over the country. Um, mm-hmm. So although it is a, a niche for sure, um, I, I was blown away by the amount of people that, that actually recognized the stuff and were like, dude, I, I feel the same way and are, are pretty much around the same age group as me. Um, so mm-hmm. it, was, it was actually a, a little bit settling because i was like wow there are other people that do this job that listen to the same stuff and didn't take that message away and i'll say just real quick i know if you listen to you know black flag or you know those bands that came the los angeles bands that were in that scene around that time and you look at their flyers and you you know you read their lyrics you look at their album covers you're like wow man the police and punk rock were just not on the same page right oil and water but 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 really you know, having been a police officer for so long, it's like, do, do do you think that the average police officer had a, had axe to grind with a teenager who liked a certain kind of music? They didn't. Mm -hmm. I promise you that the thing is, you know, as well as I do, whatever your city, your, your, you know, your mayor, your, your town manager, uh, what your village president, whatever it is that becomes an issue for the community. It's like you're tasked with dealing with that. And if some, if they believe something's getting out of control, you're there to curtail it. Now, when you go there to curtail it and you come across some wise ass, smart mouth punks, not punk rock. Anyway, it doesn't matter what you're into. um, There's going to be a little bit of put, you know, there's going to be push and pull and that's what's going to happen. So I don't believe it. I don't think the cops were listening to the music in Los Angeles and going, wait a second. These guys are talking bad about us. Let's go break their skulls. But that's (laughs) that's what they like to portray. And yeah. Because again, you're, you're cultivating the scene and you're saying like, we're all like-minded. We have to have, in order to be like-minded and we have to have a purpose. And our purpose is that we, we, we have this, this anger and who are we going to turn it to? You know, first it was the police. Then, then the punk rockers turned it and were like jocks. And then it was rednecks. Uh, there's mm-hmm. always these groups that were like, Hey, we we're telling ourselves that we're victims and these are the people we need to lash out against. And I think the one thing you learn about the scene, no matter where it is, you know, whether it's a New York scene, the L.A. scene, the Chicago scene, Detroit, wherever, um, I think the people, truly the people that really are paying attention are enlightened and they're empathetic, Mm -hmm. regardless of what stages you move through, if you want to go there and you want to get in fights and all that stuff. But like, I think that you understand in in being a part of the scene that the scene is bigger than music. It's it's uh, it's so small just like with the unit to back thing, you find out like, wow, Hey, I didn't know you, but I know you. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, the bands are so accessible that, you know, they come to your town and you could just grab their gear and start loading it into the car or their trucks for them. And they're grateful for it. 
They'll sit yeah. there and, and have a beer with you or, you know, sign. if you wanted them to sign something, I'm sure they would, but they're just normal people. And I think you have, you start getting an appreciation for, you know, people and learning how to talk to people, learning how to communicate and learning how to communicate with people that aren't people you you know in, in person, but you know, right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. how easily I was able, once you, you guys are reaching out or I was reaching out to you, it just felt like, you know, we already know each other. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's a, it's a it, you know, it's kind of a web we weave where, like you said, you may not know each other. I've always connected to people through music. Um, even just like, Hey, I kind of like you as a person. Here's a song you might like. And then like, it kind of yeah. goes from there, even as basic as that you guys talking about going to a plain clothes assignment or whatever, putting on your band tee. And then some people will give you like a sideways look and others will be like, wait a second. That's cool. Um, the first time I ever got to do plain clothes, I was still an FTO and uh, they let me do plain clothes with my FTO with my trainer. And I wore, it was either a rancid shirt or a bad religion shirt. I don't know which one, but I wore one of them and our Lieutenant was walking by a little old white lady. And she goes, what is that? I was like, it's, it's, it's a band. It's fine. It's, she's like, it was bad religion because she's like, I don't think you can wear that. I'm like, <laughs> why, why not? It's fine. Cause they had their, their logo with the cross and the cross. Yeah, down across. Right. And, uh, I was like, it's fine. And I can't tell you how many times in my small little Florida town, I've had, you know, kind of older white ladies come up to me and go, you can't wear that here. That's like, the one, right. That's yeah, the most yeah. understanding and like conscience conscience band there is out there and that's yeah. that one p that that crossbuster it just it it really bothers people you <laughs> that know? one and when i was in high school in new jersey a kid wore an anti-flag shirt and oh my god you would have thought that he was burning a flag <laughs> by and he's like no actually this is like pro and whatever it was it was a lost <laughs> cause um but at the same time this you know she was she was condemning the bad religion shirt but then a guy on the squad with me was like, Oh, you like bad religion? I was like, Yeah, I do like bad religion. And then yeah. the friendship formed. And some of my closest friends throughout the police department, we became friends through music. I remember riding with a different trainer, and he's like, Hey man, you probably never heard of this band before. He pump puts on some pop punk band. I'm like, actually, I really like that band. <laughs> and yeah. friendship formed. Um, that kind of segues into another story. Dave, your defendant shirt based off the descendants logo. Um, I was wearing it at uh, a buddy of mine passed away over the summer. I was wearing it at, at one of his events and um, come to find out that his dad, so they're from New Jersey. They're his dad uh, way back, probably in the nineties or whatever, wrote the descendants and said, Hey, if you guys are ever in New Jersey, just let me know. You can come stay in my house, blah, 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 blah. Sure enough, when they did a tour in New Jersey a couple of years later, they come by. They're like, "Hey, you said we got a couch, right?" <laughs> and boom, they couch surf. Yeah. They couch surfed with them. So I thought that was really cool. And you guys talking about writing bands and all this stuff. I mean, punk rock yeah. just transcends well, that, everything. That's interesting because I, I, the more I talk to people, I find out because I was doing the same thing. You know, a band would put out a seven inch or record, and it would have you know their PO box and you would just fire off a letter. Uh, I remember you yeah. know we had my one of the bands I was in put together a um you know a demo tape went to the studio and everything so I was sending out like I sent a copy to alternative tentacles and I got a letter back from Joe Biafra being like yeah nah not interested but keep up you know <laughs> hey keep keep on plugging away. You know, I was like I don't care if he wants me or not I, I'm going to keep the, I still have the letter to this day. You know it's in pristine mm-hmm. shape. 
And so for that, yeah. I was like, he could have the, you know, the $4 tape that I put this thing on. <laughs> the photocopy J card, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still have a letter from Rabies from Warzone when uh, they were trying to line up some shows down in the South. And, and the same thing, you're just writing letters back and forth. And he's giving me his phone number and address. He's just like, hey, if we get down there, can you put us on the couch or let us crash somewhere? I'm like, yeah, you know, of course. Like, mm -hmm. you could only imagine what it would have been like had they been able to play the show and they come crash at my house, you know, down here in the South. And these dudes are, you know, straight from NYC. But right. I still have that letter and a lot of others just because of trying to explain to people what it was like as, as a kid and being able to sit down and write a letter and you can actually communicate with the bands. And for mm -hmm. me, I was always because I couldn't play instruments, but I was always appreciative. Like, thank you for making this record or, you know, Hey, I, I've got your shirt, you know, like a, I had ordered a naked Reagan shirt when I was a kid and I was just like, Hey, thanks. I got the shirt. I love the album, you know, jettison and all this. But so I, I tried to save all of that stuff because even at that time I knew because of the way my parents were, I would see their things, you know, and they're like artifacts from when they were kids. And I'm like, man, one sure. day, one day I'm going to, I'm going to go through all my flyers. I'm going to go through these pictures and I still do. So now through Instagram, you know, sometimes I'll post them in my stories and stuff mm -hmm. and, and like old flyers. And it just, then someone will, will reach out and be like, Oh man, I remember that band or, you know, yeah, and it'll yeah. be like an obscure band, like just some crazy band that I didn't think anybody remembered. And then right. I get to hear some really cool story, you know, and I'm like, ah, oh, this is Instagram's great. I don't, it, yeah. I don't get all the negativity. I don't get into politics. It's just people and stories and music. Yeah. And that's, that's probably the best part of all of it. And, you know, I, like we said before, I really owe it to Dave and his page to kind of build that punk rock law enforcement base. Yeah. I would have never found BC and, and half of the people that came from it. Um, and you're talking about like, posting artifacts and whatever you know from from your your younger days posting <laughs> yeah. it up or whatever um so when i played in my band um it was a ska band and we we kind of dave talked about this on his podcast a little while ago like you have like your your rec league then you got your jv and your varsity level of, of music well i was kind of jv like we played like around the area but not too bad anyway we opened up for a couple uh ska bands and uh one of them was big d in the kids table and uh, played with them a couple of times, got to meet them, got to chat, which to me, that was a big deal. That was like when I said that I found Robic Fish and then started finding all the bands. They were one of the first bands I found and fell in love with. So that was great. So then we go. I leave the band. I moved down to Florida. Um, they played a show opening for Real Big Fish at the House of Blues. Big, big venue, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. um, they were they were playing support of a new record they put out. And of course I listened to it front to back a million times. Uh, lead singers, Mike cuts out on the last song and I'm fucking screaming it. Cause I'm like the only <laughs> one in the crowd that knows it. Cause it's a brand new record. And uh, he sees it and he like, you know, he motions to me and it was pretty cool. Like that was good enough. I'm good with that. Yeah. Yeah. End of the set. He takes the set list, balls it up and throws it right to me. Coolest yeah. moment in the life. I can pull it out of my drawer right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. That would have been enough. About a few months later, he, they come back to Orlando on a headlining tour, but they're playing small clubs now. Um, and they're playing, they're fucking killing it. End of the night, he comes up to me and fucking puts his arm around me, starts bullshitting with me. Like we were like lifelong friends. And that is the kind of, I don't know, 
cohesiveness, I guess that's a word for like, yeah. you know, started with, I was just a fan. And then I got to like have a barroom chat with this guy. Like it was just amazing. And I feel like, I don't know the, the music and the scene, it doesn't matter, you know, cause they were a big band. doesn't matter how big they are. They're, they still feel like people at that point. Yeah. I mean, less than two years ago, like right around fall of 2019, Agnostic Front and Slapshot mm-hmm. were playing shows, right? We go see Agnostic Front play, and there's probably six or seven of us all worked on the gang unit together, all punk rock cops. It's Vinny Stigma's like 64th birthday. They get <laughs> they get done with the set, and this guy comes down and starts like just chopping it up with us, like, hey, how you guys been? Like, you know, we just get to talking. And sadly, like I forgot, hey, this dude's 64. And I have a bad habit of slapping people in the back, like when I get to telling stories <laughs> and laughing. And we're just we're just joking and having such a good time. And he's excited that they're touring and people still come to the shows. And I rear back and give him one of those like southern hand slaps uh, on the back. And poof, he turned into dust. Like he's gonna kill me, man. <laughs> he looks at me like he's gonna kill me. And then my buddy like kind of reminds me, like, dude, you just you just slapped me on the back. I was like, yeah, I didn't know, you know. Like, I, I'm sorry, man. And, and he's like, okay, okay, I, I get it. You know, it's like that was, you know, but for him to come down there. You didn't have to do that, man. 64 years old, and they're still playing shows and still talking to people because of that connection, man. That's amazing. For sure. Um, Unrelated story, but I actually, when I moved to Florida, uh, I went into show promotion for like a year, and uh, I I got to book Agnostic Front at a club Mm. I was working at. That was, Mm. unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend that show because of family things but it was that was a really cool thing and then to hear that that was the best show that that club ever put on that was amazing i really wish i could have seen well interesting uh my now almost 17 year old son uh two years ago i had uh you know all all the tapes that i had gotten uh my son really you know he wasn't into music he hadn't found his thing yet and i had got like i told you the story somebody gave me these boxes of tapes and a, a buddy that I know, his kid was sort of getting into the scene. And I was like, hey, I got to pay this forward. Like, these aren't mine. These were mine to hold mm-hmm. and to have. I pass them along to this guy. And then sure yeah. enough, my kid, you know, two years later, my kid's like, oh, well, I'm into it too now. Um, yeah. But I we just went to a show, his first show, which was a Descendant show. But the headliner was Rise Against. And we were talking about it. And I'm like, look you know, here's the thing. I don't know what's going to happen at the show. I'm assuming they're going to say a lot of, you know, very progressive things between songs. And, uh, I'm here for the music. I don't, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get upset. There's probably a lot of people you'll see walking around wearing anti-police stuff or saying anti, Mm -hmm. anti anti-police stuff, anti-government, you know, whatever it is. Um, but again, man, this it's, it's no different than people saying like, you know, Hey, I, I like NWA. I liked NWA too. Um, I like mm-hmm. body right. count, <laughs> you know, right. I, yeah. I don't, yeah. I, I really, I, I, you find out, right. If ice T hated cops that bad, why has he been playing one for 30 years on television? Yeah. Right. And, right, and, right. And I'm not calling him or any other person out as being a faker or, you know, uh, a charlatan or any of this stuff. But what I'm saying is, is there's, there's art and there's reality. And, um, you know, when it's hot and it's, and it's, and you're young and it's, it seems like the right thing to say at the time, that's what you say. That's how you feel. And even when you're older, if that's the way you feel, if you don't like the police, that's fine. Um, sometimes I don't like the police. 
mm-hmm. yeah. you know, being, being perfectly honest. I mean, I, I don't, I represent me. I don't represent the entire police, you know, police force in the United States. There's a lot of things that I see and I'm like, that should not happen. And I can't believe it continues to happen. And I'm ashamed, you know, uh, but, yeah. but that's why I look at it and say, Hey, you know, for all these guys that are, you know, punk rocking until they're, you know, fifties and, and on and on or my age, and they're still doing it just like I am, but are on the other side of it, you know, still, still running their mouth and still anti this. And, you know, they got, they got, they got, uh, you know, they, they feel they have to say this and say that my thing is, is like, well, do you have any skin in the game? Because you wear, mm-hmm. wore a t-shirt and you, you know, a battle jacket with a couple of, uh, you know, anti-government, anti-police message, uh, you know, pins or whatever on it. I actually have skin in the game. I got into the game to change the way things are. Mm-hmm. What, what have you done? So to yeah. me, at the end of the day, being uh, what's more punk rock than actually being a person who can affect positive change. They yes. affect positive yeah. change by standing on the sidelines. And I'm not saying, that, you know, yes, you can by protesting and all that. That's great. But I'm like physically, as you guys are, actively in the game making mm-hmm. a change. And I'm not, you know, my job is to put away bad guys, not put away people that are in, in need or in trouble themselves. Right. My thing is, is like, I didn't get, I didn't get into, to, to police work, to arrest people who were drug addicts. My job mm-hmm. is to arrest right. drug dealers, right? Like people that yeah. are, are, are trying to, you know, bring, encourage other people or, 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 or make this stuff readily available. So there's just this big misconception outside the police world and maybe even inside the police world of like, what, what are we supposed to be doing? And in my mind, mm-hmm. yeah. In my mind, this is if, if it hadn't been for punk rock, I don't know that I would have become a police officer. And when I did become a police officer, I don't know that I would have policed the way I do police as a result right. of it. Yeah. I yeah. think that goes back to what BC said in the very beginning is that it got you to question things. When you got into the music, yeah. got you to yeah. question things, got you to question the way things are established. And that changes how we do our job. That changes how we kind of go into it. You can go into this with a very cookie cutter mentality and you'll be fine. You'll work your 20 to 30 year career. You'll retire. You have a good, you'll be fine. Um, But people like the three of us in this conversation with this kind of altered mindset, um, I think we look at it a little bit differently. Um, You know, we see where people have been victimized wrongly Mm-hmm. And we want to affect change. So that way those that who are victimized, like BC said, he was, you know, the guy breaking up the fights with the bullies, you know, that's what you want to do. And and you have a, we all have the same kind of moral compass, but different ways of getting there, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I, and I was going to say that um, kind of like what we were saying when, when I got into it, it was commitment. You know what I mean? It wasn't just a nine to five job. And and you hear a lot of people that will say that and they'll say, well, it's just a job. Why do cops act like that? And it's like, but, but it's not a job. It's like not. you're, you're, you're committing yourself to the Academy, to training, constantly training every year. And more importantly, you're kind of held responsibility for what happens in your area. If it's patrol or your area responsibility in the detective division, you know, you, you can't just, hang out for eight hours a day and, or 10 hours or 12 hours. Like you've got to go out there and put in work. Yeah. You, and I think that, yeah, I think that like right now too, the, the big thing within the last hell 10 years, especially the level of across the board, every department, if you were to average it, the level of corruption 
is so astronomically low compared to what it was in the sixties, seventies, you know, you go back to that Serpico era, which that was like, yeah, I'm, I'm all about some Serpico, right? Like you go in <laughs> corrupt cops, you clean them up. They're the worst. They're, they're worse than, you know, career criminals or gang members. Like someone who wears a badge and is on the take. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I didn't see that. You know, very rarely would I even hear of those stories. And if I did, those were the outliers because yeah. of the way policing had become so professional. And even for me, when I joined, I saw some guys who were kind of like just knuckle dragging sort of, um, they just didn't know how to talk to people. And I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't dig that. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to police that way. If I go hands on with someone and it gets, you know, we're, we're throwing elbows or we're doing whatever it's going to be because I did everything I possibly could to influence them to make the right decision. And at some point they decide it's time to fight. Well, then we're going to fight. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but with that being said, is that that mindset, like you said, of always going back to how I was treated uh, by the police when I was younger or how my music kind of kind of conditioned me to always question everything, everything. Yeah. And then to be a cop and then to be like, OK, well, yeah, it is illegal to whatever trespass at two o'clock in the morning. However, why is this person trespassing? Right. Oh, hell, yep. you're you're a 19 year old guy and you got the weight of the world on your shoulders. You're smoking a blunt at two in the morning because your home life is a wreck. You know what I mean? Like you, yeah, anyway, yeah, I'm getting off yeah. on a tangent. I'm no, just no, saying, you're fine. Yeah. I'm just saying that it, it is an, it's in a bad situation where, uh, policing has, has been pushed so negatively through the media. When in fact that the reality is most of the time, most police departments are, are highly professional and weed out any of the kind of corruption or the outliers that you see. You know what I mean? At least that's, yeah. that's been my experience. Like I said, there are some problems in some agencies, but hell, it's nothing like it was, you know, 40 years ago or 50 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the proactive policing is not, not a crime. When I first put this sticker together or, you know, when I was, I was first putting it out there, I think a lot of people looked at it like that was like right around the time when, you know, things were getting clamped down and it was like, Oh, you know, yeah. Hey, yeah. no, all supervisors, all administrators were like, Hey, there's something going on at this, at this one part of the country. We don't want that here. So everybody just mm-hmm. kind of lay low, don't do anything. Don't bring any negative attention. And then you had this pushback from a lot of the younger guys or, you know, the, the guys that were a little older, but still wanted to be out there and be proactive mm-hmm. and uh, looking for bad guys that were, you know, those were the people I was selling the stickers to. It was like, yeah, Hey, you know, I'm not going to not be, I'm not going to come here and and sit on my hands because you're afraid as an administrator, Mm -hmm. I'm still going to go out there and there's still bad guys to be taken to jail. Um, but I guess even greater than that, what it means, it doesn't just mean that to me, what, what proactive policing is not a crime means to me, it's, it's not just about going out there and doing drug interdiction or criminal interdiction necessarily in the way that like just means pulling over a bunch of cars or jumping out on street corners. What it means is get out of your car, go up and grab onto somebody who, you know, and and talk to them, be proactive in in every phase of the game. Right. You know, if you're Mm -hmm. driving down the street and you see some kids, some juveniles walking down the street, stop your car, get out and talk to them. I'm not saying you have to interrogate them, but find out who they are. Introduce yourself, make friends. You're going to, you, 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 You'd be surprised at how how far that goes. You know, being sure. proactive isn't just about taking more people to jail than the next guy. And especially mm-hmm. like in the detective bureau where I work, the way I look at it is, and this this is where punk rock 
you know, that ethos has helped me. I've done so many creative things that were so outside mm-hmm. the box that a lot of people in my agency at least were like, wow, um, I didn't know. I never thought about that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. What I'm saying is, is I just think in a very abstract way. So there are probably things that they could, they would do as more streamlined and probably faster and more efficient mm-hmm. than, than maybe I necessarily would have. Um, but I just, I just constantly am like, where else can we take this? What other direction we can we go? So again, when people are, there's arguments, you know, I'll post a sticker and then you'll see people going back and forth. And it's like, well, you know, you're probably not me, but they'll go back and forth about, you know, or you're a supervisor that, so you can't be proactive. It's like, no, you can be. And if you're an administrator, you can be proactive too. Uh, mm-hmm. So don't just, don't just look at that image or read those words and go, well, the only person that could be proactive is the guy who's allowed to do interdiction mm-hmm. because a lot of agencies right. yeah. aren't set no, up yeah. for interdiction and you can go to all the classes you want. Unfortunately, some communities, uh, and, and some people may argue this, but aren't going to be as, um, as fruitful as other areas. And sure. sometimes your job, depending on where you work at, or it could be for today is to go be proactive in your community, learn your community, know who works in your community, know who's supposed to be in your community and know what stands out. And if you don't right. make those contacts and you don't see those things that are anomalies because you are just too busy driving up and down the main drag of your, your town, trying to look for the guy driving with, you know, the, uh, the black ice, uh, you know, trees <laughs> hanging from his mirror and, yep. you know, and, and the little symbol on, you know, that shows he's in a rental car, you're, you're completely off base. You're, you're missing the entire point because you're right. There's your community and in protecting that community comes first, then doing all that extra stuff comes second. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think, um, especially when I was in the police Academy, I don't know about you guys when you guys were, were starting out, but it was a big push. Like, Hey, don't sit in your car. Don't, you know, Mm-hmm. Drive around with your windows up, get out, talk to people, blah, blah, blah. So everybody, when they were getting hired, they would say that in their oral board interview, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get out and I'll talk to kids and blah, 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 blah. No one implemented that practice. It was all just a hiring technique. Like, I'm going to say this. this yeah. These are the buzzwords. I'm going to do it. Um, I can say many times, and again, not just, just like Dave said, not patting myself on the back, but I can say multiple times like, getting out with business owners in my in my area, getting out with kids, getting out with um, we, I was working in a kind of a proactive, but a reactive investigative unit. It was weird. Um, we hit a search warrant on a house because it was a drug house and the whole neighborhood was suffering from it. Months later, right before I left my last agency, I'm driving up and down and I see a guy out washing his car right next to the house. And I get out and I'm like, Hey man, uh, you know, a few months ago, we hit this house with a search warrant, a bunch of druggies there. They were moving dope. They were moving stolen merchandise, everything. Um, I never got a chance to do any follow-up or anything, but, you know, just want to let you know, I was one of the guys on the case. How's everything doing? And just talking to him, engaging mm-hmm. in a conversation. And the amount of information that came from that, like, he's like, oh, yeah, no, that cleaned up just fine, man. We're, we're, we're so thankful, blah, blah, blah. But I heard this. And, like, you start mm-hmm. building contacts and everything. It's amazing, like when you start building these relationships and it's just people helping people, you start building these relationships, learning how to talk to people, learning how like, you know, your, your CIs, your confidential informants are not always the doper you just arrested. Sometimes it's the house, the homeowner that lives next to the drug yeah. house. It's like, Hey, here's my phone number. Like I'll tell you every time this certain car goes mm-hmm. by or whatever, even to the point where like 
I used to work in a tourist trap. So the big thing was like quality of life issues. Like if homeless people are laying around on the main drag, get them away, arrest them if you can, whatever. I didn't like that. That was a waste of my time. Like, you know, they're homeless. The only thing I'm arresting them for is being homeless. I don't like that, which again, that's kind of like a punk rock thing. Like, why am I going to arrest people for this? They have no reason to be arrested for this. It's not a crime. So I would get out with these people and be like, Hey man, listen, I know you got nowhere else to go, but I can't have you right here. Like you go wherever. I don't care, but can't be right here. But talking to them respectfully and like a human and not just arresting them because I could help me so much when we had other homeless individuals actually doing crimes, like breaking into things or um, robbing people or whatever. Like, hey man, do you know where this person stays? Yeah. And they would say, I'm going to tell you where they are because you're a cool dude, because you helped me in the past, because you didn't, don't arrest me every time you see me. That's proactive policing. Like it's not just always those big pictures of all the dope laid out on the table, all the guns. I mean, that's cool too. Don't get me wrong, but there's multi levels of this whole thing. And I feel like it's forgotten sometimes like Dave was saying. Yeah. So same thing, like for me, my uncle, my dad, one of my dad's younger brothers had one of the highest arrest records in our city. I don't mean he was a cop arresting people. I mean he was arrested one of the <laughs> one of the one of the repeat offenders to the point where in the academy, and we had the set we've got the same last name, but in the academy, they're going over the top offenders and they're telling us, you know, look, like you just said, know your people, know your beat, know your area. These guys can't stay out of jail. You know, they're gonna get arrested multiple times. If they're on your beat, know these quirks about them, know these things, right? So and that was <laughs> So even the instructor called me out, you know, and he's like, is wild man your dad? And I'm like, no, but he's my uncle, you know, <laughs> well, we talked at a break and the cop was like, look, you know, how's he doing? I haven't seen him in a while. There was a personal connection. And the instructor, this, this cop that was teaching would actually go and find my uncle on his birthday. Cause he knew everybody's mm. dates of birth, right? Cause there's frequent flyers. And he would give him like $5 on his birthday, knowing he was going to go get drunk. But his thing was just kind of like, look, you know, this, we work here. <laughs> you know, you're on my beat. You're you, Sometimes you cause problems. Sometimes it's, you know, you're just passed out or whatever. But it was one of those things that, and, and he and I, we always had a good relationship. He's a great guy. He just battled addiction, right? Right, right. But he would, he told me when I, when I was like, hey man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to join the police department. He pulled me aside at a family cookout because he would go through three or four months of sobriety and then he would you know, get, fall off the wagon. And uh, But he pulled me aside and he basically said, listen, wherever you get a sign, take care of my people. You know, talking about the homeless population, he's like, take care mm-hmm. of my people. He's like, you know, everybody out there that's, you know, struggling. And sometimes they just want to be left alone, man. Some people don't want to be part of society and go into a nine to five job. They can't handle it. Just look after them. So for years when I was on patrol, man, I would always, you know, go back and see him at family functions and we would talk mm-hmm. until eventually, sadly, he got into some other stuff and ended up in my area where it was well known certain types of drugs. And I had to go up and deal with him panhandling on my beat, you know, and here I'm walking up front of this McDonald's and I'd already told the guys, you know, the, the homeless guys in the camp near the McDonald's, I'm like, look. You can't be at the McDonald's. They're going to call us and you're going to have to go to jail for trespassing. Like, right, just don't right. panhandle up there. Wear out the highway, go to the gas station. Mm-hmm. Don't go to McDonald's. They all knew that. My uncle got new to the area. He's up there panhandling. I pull up. I put a message over to my my beat partners. I'm like, hey, you know, 
I'm going to be out of service. I got to take this dude to jail. And as I walk up, I recognize him. I'm like, oh, man. So we're out there hugging in the parking lot, and I'm giving him 20 bucks and telling him, like, you, you got to go down the street, man. You cannot, right, right. you know. So, uh, and then I had to explain to, to my buddies, like, hey, look, unfortunately, he's into some bad stuff, and you're going to be dealing with him. Try to take it easy. Help him out however you can, you know. So that always kind of, like, like I said, for me, I had gang members on my beat. I had shootings and stabbings. That's what I wanted to focus on. I didn't want to mess with harassing homeless people. You, you know right. what I mean? Like you said. Mm-hmm. It's- yeah. You know, it, it, it is interesting over, uh, you know, I can only speak to a 20-year career, but being in the same community, you know, in early, in your, early in your career, you could be dealing with somebody day after day after day. And then years go by and they sort of like fall off and there's new people that become the people you deal with every day. And mm-hmm. then that, you know, the, the guy you were dealing with a long time ago, all the time shows back up. You see him in some other capacity at like a fest that you have in your community. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and it's funny because you bullshit with the guy about how you used to arrest him or about the trouble yeah. he used to cause. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. weird that, you know, in no other profession in, in no other walk of life <laughs> would that yeah. happen. You know, it's like, Hey, yeah, we went round and round, but it's if you ever there's a um, I I love the show The Wire, and mm-hmm, there's a mm-hmm. scene in The Wire. If if you guys have seen it, you'll know um, there Maury, who is the lawyer for for one of the gang, you know, the main gang in the movie, or excuse me, in the show, comes in and he's telling this guy Orlando, who runs a strip club, he's supposed to be like the clean guy for the gang, right? So they they launder money or they do things through the strip club, but this guy is not supposed to have a criminal record because, you know, then the police and the government aren't supposed to know the gang is actually operating in the strip club, right? He's supposed to be, he's the guy that has his name on there, but really it's their strip club. And he ends up getting arrested and, and the lawyer comes in there and he says to him, you wanted to be in the game. Now you're in the game. Cause this guy ends up going out on his own and, and, and dealing drugs. Cause he doesn't feel like the gang is taking care of him. So he wants to try and make a little side money in any way he gets arrested. But I always, I've always thought this way, like someone who's a legitimate criminal, they understand the game. And the police understand mm-hmm. the game. And although, you know, things happen in between the beginning of the game and the end of the game on any given day, at the end of the day, they know what's going to happen when, you know, if they're mm-hmm. caught mm-hmm. and they could yell and scream and say whatever, but there, there's that it's, I don't want to call it respect, but understanding of the game, right? Game is a game. And when you, this is what I try to tell young officers. If you go to interview a guy um, after he's arrested and the guy's belligerent, I ain't talking to you, you know, this, that you can't take it personal. It's a game. That's right. the game. Why would mm-hmm. he talk to you? You're ju- of course, he's not going to talk to you. You have to convince him it's in his best interest to talk to you. And I'm not even talking about tricking him. You have to get down. You, you have to get on that level to where I don't want to say down on that level, but you have to get on that level to where it makes sense for this person to communicate why they did what they did. Uh, so that way, you could understand and, and, uh, and help them not do that again, or, you know, do whatever needs to be done. But I always have, again, not respect, but understanding that it's, it's a game. They know, they know what they're getting into and you know what you're getting into. And sometimes people are going to be nasty to you, even though when you treat them with respect, but that's part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad, yeah, go ahead, BC. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that the same thing, like where, uh, I've had kids who were 14, 15 years old just getting brought home like to – we've got Bloods, Crips, uh, Gangster Disciples, Latin Kings. We've got a lot of gangs in the South. 
So <clears throat> I've had 14, 15 year olds on the, on the curb, you know, you have everybody sit down on the curb and mm. they just call it sidewalk sermons where I would get out there and kind of start talking about history <laughs> and, you know, just trying to get a feel for why, uh, you know, say three or four new guys are on the block where we've got 20 guys hanging out. Everybody's not in trade blood or G shine or whatever, sex, money, murder, pick a damn set. Uh, but I've had it happen where I've sat there and I've explained to young guys, Hey, you're getting in the set. Now I've still got another 20 plus years, you know, in law enforcement, like I'm going to be here and you're getting in the set and you're not going to get out anytime soon. So you're going to be doing dirt. Eventually we're going to be in a room and I'm going to be in a suit and you're going to be across the table and it's going to be either for a shooting, for a robbery or for a homicide. Mm -hmm. And let's think about in the future, you know, what it's going to be like when we sit at that table and we have that discussion. And I want you to think about, are you going to be honest with me? And we go through all this and twice I've had it happen where five, six, seven, eight years later, that uh, a person is across the room and I have to remind them because I have almost like a photographic memory with names and faces and remind them, remember, you know, we were in a 500 block or we were in this area and this happened. It's a little eerie, but it's one of those things where you start to see those patterns forming. Yeah, yeah but and you, you see that, that investment you... pays major dividends because they already know you yeah. and they know what you're about. Yes. And when you're in that yeah. room, it's like, again, here we are. And it is nothing personal. Yes. It's all business, but I treated you with respect. You treat me with respect. We're going to have right. to get through this. I have to ask these questions. You could either answer them yeah. or not answer them, but you know, it's going to yeah. happen. So, and it's, and it's, yeah. And it's like you said too, where sometimes you have to explain to people, you know, wh whoever it is that, that you're in a, like some people are in a day-to-day -day survival mode, you know, especially mm -hmm. gang members. It's like, Feast or famine, they, they're, they're about the only thing they're doing is knowing what's going to happen in, within the next hour, right? And then all of a sudden they're in a, you know, a shooting investigation or a homicide, and maybe they were not the trigger puller, but maybe they got in a car afterwards. You know, now they're lumped into this homicide. And sometimes you have to look out for their best interest to be like, look, you, you're going to want to tell the truth because this is going to actually diminish your role in this, you know, in this crime, mm -hmm. or you're going to have a shooter who ends up telling a detective, Oh yeah, that guy's pulled the trigger, not me. Right, and then that right. person says, I don't want to talk or they want to lie about things. And then it makes them look you know, guilty. So same thing. Like I, I don't lie to people. I don't play tricks. I explain to them the situation or, or what's going on. Uh, I lay out or explain a lot of the evidence because I want them to understand the situation. And so that, like you said, it's that respect thing. And it is, it's like, look, yeah. You, you signed up, you got jumped in or you got blessed in or whatever, and you joined this set, you follow your rules. And now, sadly, you know, as a human being, you're facing some serious punishment or you've done something to someone and taken their life or, you know, uh, put them in the hospital or whatever. It's like now we have to get to that. We have to deal with that now. We've right. uh, and built and building that rapport. Like you said, we've come a long way, though, from, you know, back when I first started and, and seeing you know, the detectives or police officers would interview people and it would be mm -hmm. like, you know, straight out of the read manual where, you know, they got a VHS yeah. tape where it has the name of the business on it and they just put it down there or a, a file folder <laughs> with the guy's name on it, like, you know, a, a, as big as a, a telephone book. And, and it, yeah. all these gimmicks and, and basically these guys went to a couple trainings and they're like, I'm just going to, I'm going to throw every piece of this training together uh, and, and I'm going to try to manufacture a, a situation in which these, this person feels compelled to speak to me. And mm -hmm. really what I found 
over time, what works best for me personally, and I know works best for my partner is uh, just being real. And, and again, going mm -hmm. all the way back to that punk rock thing is like, yeah, I have a lot of tattoos. Um, I do not look like the traditional police officer. Um, I, you know, I don't come in there with that, that energy. I'm not saying I don't have that energy, but in the interview room, I do not have that energy. Um, and, right. and I think in order to do a good interview, um, you've got to be prepared to spend time. And a lot of police officers are, especially in patrol or people that spend a lot of time in patrol, it's not their fault. They just don't have the time to spend on it. So they'll get a guy in there, you know, mm -hmm. they'll be like, Hey, I know you did this. You better tell me you did this or whatever. Cause it's like, Hey, I got to move on. Cause my supervisor needs me to get mm -hmm. back out of the road. Right. If I'm, right. I got calls. If I'm not out there, mm -hmm. he's going to have to take one and then I'm going to be in big trouble. So they'll go in there and I'll be like, Hey, you're not going to, if you don't want to talk to me, that's fine, whatever. And they look at it as a box to check. But mm -hmm. you know, that's why I feel like if you go in there and you, the first in my, this is the way I do it is, you know, the first 20 to 30 minutes is just, BS conversation, getting to know you conversation. And I like to drift away from why we're even there. And hopefully at some point they yeah. forget about the fact that I'm a policeman and they're, you know, in trouble, mm. you know, so right. it's not about, it's not about scamming anybody or bamboozling anybody, but it's just about being real. It's like, Hey, we're here. Right. Now we're faced with this situation. Let's figure out what we can do. Mm -hmm. I feel like the three of us could have an entire conversation just based on like rapport building. Mm -hmm. Cause like mm -hmm. all of this is so good and so important. And maybe, maybe we'll, uh, we'll rally the troops again in the future. Um, but the, the little story I wanted to tell was my dad was a cop in New Jersey in the eighties, nineties and in the early nineties. And this story, I only know kind of secondhand for, through my brother-in-law, but they would, you know, if you think about early 90s, you know, you're thinking about like the Rodney King era, like all the mm -hmm. like race problems going on. And uh, my brother-in-law and my dad would go out to bars and, uh, you know, they're just having a drink all, my dad, when my dad was off duty. And my brother-in-law tells me the story about this big guy. Now, my dad was about 6'2", um, kind of lanky, but still had some weight to him. Um, and they're at the bar. This guy comes over, this big black guy, probably my brother-in-law, who is like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, said he towered over him. So just think about that. And my brother-in-law is built like a refrigerator. So just think about him describing someone as a big guy. Comes up to my dad, bear hugs him, and like, you know, like, you know, like he lifts him up to crack a back or whatever. And he's like, oh, how the hell are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. And my brother-in-law is so fucking confused. He's like, who the hell is this guy? And he's like, oh, I just arrested him last week. He's so fucking <laughs> stupid. And like, that was the rapport my dad had with the people in his beat. It didn't mm -hmm. matter that there were race riots going on. It didn't matter that he was a cop. He treated everybody with respect. And that's how he was greeted. Nowadays, if someone I arrested was in the same bar as me, I am jetting out of there. <laughs> like, this is not a good time. I don't want to be there. Yeah. But, you know, that is just the kind of the mentality that I've always tried to maintain. And I only for like about two years did I live in the same place that I worked. But I always had that mentality that if someone that I arrested comes across me in public, I want his last reaction or interaction with me to be a positive one. Because I, first off, I don't want to put myself in a precarious situation off duty, but also because when our, when my uniform's off and he's, you know, not wearing cuffs or whatever, we're just people. So there's no mm -hmm. reason to 
there's no reason for me to judge this person's life or the way he makes a living or whatever because his moral compass is different than mine. Do you remember that scene in Heat where De Niro is sitting across <laughs> the table from Pacino yeah. and they're yeah. basically saying, yeah. "This is I know who you are." And Pacino is like, look, I got, I'm on a, like a, my third marriage, you know, <laughs> things aren't great. Mm-hmm. I'm completely obsessed with, you know, my job and uh, I put my cards on the table. But at the end of the day, if it comes down to me and you, you know, they have this conversation mm-hmm. and it's funny because you're like, okay, well you to believe that Robert De Niro's character is like the best of the best at what he does. He's like the, you know, one of the baddest dudes out there and definitely would not hesitate to, to, you know, shoot and kill whoever gets in his way. And in the same vein, Al Pacino's character is that polar opposite on the law enforcement side. But these guys are able to sit down and break bread because it's the game, right? And right now, they're on pause. Somebody got up to go to the bathroom, and we're all holding our cards, and we're waiting in this one purgatory, right? This one moment that exists between, hey, tomorrow morning, you know, like the – the old cartoon where it's like the yeah, sheep dog and they, 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 yeah, yeah. they, they check, they clock in and they <laughs> clock out. And that, that's how it has to be. I mean, you would hope that, I mean, I police the same town I grew up in. Uh, I've been here my whole life. And so I, I've dealt a lot, you know, I've dealt with that a lot. And I've been in a lot of situations where it's like, Oh, I gotta, you know, I gotta deal with this person who I know personally in a, in a law enforcement, um, in the law enforcement realm. And it's, it's not always comfortable, but you got to, you hope that people understand like, Hey, I'm not working right now. That That's the hope. But I feel the yeah. same way as you. If I, if yeah. I see it, I just, I get out of the, I just get out of the situation. Right, that, right. that scene from heat, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is actually based on a encounter that the technical advisor from the movie mm-hmm. was a cop. And I think maybe Chicago yep. absolutely, and actually had a, an encounter very similar to that. And they adapted it into the the film. Supposedly, that's the that's the that's the rumor. Yeah, the, is it that, I, that, that that yeah? I've heard the exact same thing. That's <laughs> right, crazy. it's crazy, but it's that's why it works because it's like yeah, same thing happens in the wire when um the two detectives are on a date at the movies yes. and they see two of the you know what yeah. I mean? It's kind of like two of the corner uh, boys. And then, are and there. one cop's like, "You guys yeah, are the yeah. jerks, right? You know, like the Goon Squad. You always dumping everybody and yoking them up." But it was lighthearted. I mean, the cops were the ones with 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 yeah. their uh, with their ass cheeks clenched because they were like, "This could this could go bad at any moment." But the, the, those other guys yeah. were like, "Hey." That's what we do for a living is like, we got to get out there yeah. and, and we drug deal, we grind, whatever. But right now, like we're on dates too. And like, so yeah, it's lighthearted. Yeah. And that's what, then the yeah, funny thing yeah. is like, like watching the wire, you know, like for when I watch that scene, I'm like, yeah, th- those dudes are, are kind of causing that problem though. You know, they're causing their own tension because they would sometimes get heavy handed. Oh, for you know, sure. Yeah. The, the cops would, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's like, if you had uh whatever McNulty or something, you know, he has the, the sit down lunch with the kid, you know, season five mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like, they just kind of chop it up because McNulty was always kind of cool. He ended up dying as a result of it. But I mean, you know, I get right. it. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Right. All right, fellas, this has been amazing. This is uh, going to be one of my longest interviews has been, been absolutely <laughs> amazing. Um, before we bid adieu, is there anything else you guys want to say regarding, law enforcement or punk rock or anything. I think there, there's going to have to be a, a part two because there's just so much that we still haven't, that we've left unsaid, but uh, anything in closing that you guys want to add uh, anything for you, BC? Yeah, no, I mean, my thing is just both you guys, man, keep doing what you're doing. I like it. I love the podcasting. I love the shirts. 
uh, networking with everybody and getting the message out there. So I'm just glad you invited me. I appreciate it. I'll come on and talk anytime you want to, man. Awesome. And BC, if people want to reach you on social media, what's your, uh, what's your handle? Yeah, it's just B period C period Sanders, S A N D E R S. Perfect. And Dave, what about you? Got anything to add? No. I, I mean, I'm anticipating a second episode. I got, I got so much to say. Uh, you yeah. know, I have my own podcast and I'll, yeah. I'll air out that, but, but I don't talk about law enforcement on my own podcast ever. So it's funny. Cause yeah. I always try to tell, I, I try to get the law enforcement contingent, your people over to my podcast. And I'm like, look, I do a police podcast too, but we don't talk about police work. We just talk about like, <laughs> right how like uh, yeah life and, and from the perspective of two guys who spend their professional life as police officers and i always feel like it's one of those read between the lines things because i feel like if a police officer heard the podcast and um didn't know we were police officers they'd be like i think these guys are police officers so we've been we've yeah. been doing it since yeah. i mean a long long time over like 10 years at this point and we've never it's gotten a little bit on the verge of, 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 uh, we suggest we work, yeah. we, you know, we work for this factory and that, but every now and then we, we put a little, uh, you know, yeah, past few there. episodes I've been like, Oh, are they going to say it? Are they going to say it? <laughs> no. And the reason <laughs> for episode, honestly, for episode 300, I feel like you're just going to let it fly. The, obviously the, you know, the big, the, re, the big reason I never did was because my feeling was, is I, I care so much about, um, the image of law, of a, you know, myself mm-hmm. as a law enforcement officer, I didn't want someone to say, well, this other nonsense you're talking about, like, can you still do a good job if this is the goofball that you are? You know what I mean? And I, I just don't right. think, sure. I don't think yeah. people make that separation. So I've just decided to say, this is, we all have a right to have our personal life and do what we want and what makes us happy in our personal lives. And, you know, it's not fair to be held to this this other standard where it's like, well, you can't be in a band because you're a police officer. You can't, you know, you can't be a comedian or you can't tell jokes or you can't be, have a podcast or whatever. You can't make beer, whatever. So that's why I've, I've not done it, but uh, please listen to my podcast. If you listen to 10, eight, then you should listen to my podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, we're like a foil. Exactly. We go together. We go together. Well, Um, and yeah, that's, I mean, I listen to you guys and it's like, I think you said something to the to the extent of it's like the Seinfeld of podcasts, yes. and it's a, very much a so. podcast about so. nothing for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so we are we're gonna get quick on uh, scheduling part two of this, but guys, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you much. Yes, sir. Thanks, buddy. Everyone listening, stay tuned. I'll be right back.
you know that in the years 2017 to 2018, the American obesity rate was over 42%? Did you further know that police officers are 25% more likely than the average American to die from obesity-related illnesses? These are diseases like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and high blood pressure. So what do we do? Do we continue to stay victims to shift work and terrible nutrition options while going call to call? Or do we do something about it? Well, I decided to do something about it, and that's why I started working with Nick Wall Nutrition. Nick is one of less than 100 professional nutritionists in the entire United Kingdom and has worked with many professional athletes from soccer, rugby, cricket, and even Team Great Britain. And all of his plans are backed by pure scientific evidence. Eating the foods you love and losing weight doing it. No fad diets, no pills, no powders, and no god-awful detox teas. Nick is the real deal and was named Nutrition Specialist of the Year for the year 2019 to 2020. Check him out on Instagram at NickWallNutrition or NickWallNutrition.com and join Nick's team and change your life. When I was deciding how I was going to do this episode, I had a bunch of different things in my mind. I mean, we talk about so many different bands and music and types of music. There's so many different subsects of punk music, you know, and how do I do it? I want to expose you guys to this music. I want you guys to check it out. Maybe it is for you. Maybe it's not. Uh, I personally, you know, the, the 80s punk that Dave and BC were talking about. Yes, there's some of it that I enjoy, but for the most part, I'm more of a 90s pop punk kind of guy, uh, which is what you've heard so far, or skate punk or whatever. Again, subsex, it's stupid. But anyway, uh, before you were hearing, the before the episode was Screech and Weasel for, with cool kids. Then we had Teenage Bottle Rocket with I Want to Be a Dog. And at the end of this, you're going to hear some ska punk. But there's so many different types of music out there that, you know, you guys might be into, you might not do, whatever. What do I do? Well, I figured I had such a great resource in Dave and BC why not take their brains and put them on a Spotify playlist? So that's what we did. There's the Punk Rock Cops Spotify playlist on Spotify right now. The link is actually in the description to this episode on Anchor and Instagram and all the other ones. So check it out uh, and enjoy. Maybe you'll find something you like. Maybe you'll be like, nah, the same for me. That's fine too. Uh, I also have multiple other uh, playlists for you to check out. I have the 108 Music playlist i have the 108 angst and then i also have let's go to jail all three of which are on spotify under 108 music so hopefully you guys enjoy that and uh yeah we'll go from there that concludes today's episode guys sorry i don't really have too much to say the interview basically said everything that i would say and i'm feeling a little bit under the weather today as i'm sure you guys can probably hear so we're just going to wrap it up and uh that'll be that Everything is going to be in the description. Please rate, review, subscribe, and all that good stuff. Get the word out there. Let's spread this around like a wildfire. Next week's episode is going to feature a street cop training instructor. Uh, We're still working on the scheduling, but it should be Nick German, and we're going to be talking about using social media for job purposes. It's pretty interesting, and a good time is had by all. So anyway... Hopefully you guys check it out. Check out 108 Memes on Instagram and Facebook if you'd like, if you haven't already, which I'm sure you probably have. But if not, check it out, 108 underscore memes. And uh, that's that's kind of all I got for you guys today. I will see you guys next week. Take care of each other. Stay safe. 108 out. Let the damn cows move. Let those stupid birds fly. 
Let the dog sit on the chair Let the cat shed its long hair Let the goldfish swim outside Let the smokers smoke Let the politicians lie Let grandma be a bitch Athletes be filthy rich Let the stoners get high Let's make life a living hell Let's make life a living hell Let's take everything we know Toss it right out the window Let's make life a living hell Let the homophobe be scared Let the gays end up in chair Republicans steal the dough Democrats can blame more Let the system let it Steal from the old and watch them die Let's make life a living hell